uh, if you're a guest with us, we just work our way through the scriptures, and you've joined us at the end of 1 Corinthians, uh, the very last passage of the first letter to the Corinthians. I'm going to be reading verses 12 to 24. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read this passage? 1 Corinthians 16, 12 to 24. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you brothers, you know that the, ho the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all. In Christ Jesus, amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So starting right off with verse 12. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I, stand, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. So in the beginning of this letter, we saw this contention that, that existed between uh, the different groups and some some like this leader more than the other leader and so uh, some followed Apollos and some Paul and some Cephas um, and so there was this kind of cliques forming and and Paul summed up the difference is in the styles by excuse me by saying one plants another waters but God gives the increase the different leaders were all working together for the same goal. They weren't in competition among themselves. Competition only existed in the mind of the Corinthians. Paul uses the warm reference, our brother, when he refers to Apollos, which is evidence of their unity and their individuality. Paul wanted Apollos to go on to Corinth, but he wasn't willing to go at that time which shows us that our will and other brothers and sisters in Christ's will, that is our personal determination, can, can clash at times. And there's nothing wrong with that. We can think, I think you should go. Someone else can say, I don't think I should go. As long as there's peace and respect, we, we, should, we need to learn to disagree respectfully um, on, on issues that are not essential to the gospel. And they just simply disagreed about timing. 
Perhaps Apollos didn't want to go at that time because of what he heard of them, some of them claiming, I follow Apollos. Because biblical leaders do not want followers. They want to make followers of Jesus. Verse 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. And all the men said, that was kind of wimpy. And all the men said, amen. yes, amen, hallelujah. Because Apollos wasn't going to Corinth and Timothy was still on his way, Paul closes this letter with five imperative commands to keep the church on track. The first one was to watch or be watchful, stay awake, which means to be on guard. We're told that one, in one of the letters to the churches in Revelation, the same, same expression is used. Like soldiers on a night watch, keep alert to any attacks of the enemy. Corinth was a strategic location for the church because it was the crossroads of so many trade routes. There were debates in that city forum about religion and philosophy, which seemed to have uh, kind of slipped into the church, some of the ideas. Today we have the same problem, amen? It's troubling to see how the news media, academia, have all united to push ungodly, anti-Christian ideas into our society and the church. A pastor in the Verde Valley recently was asked to resign because he was quoting from some of those uh, teachers of these uh, false ways and false philosophies. Then he says they were to stand firm. Watch, stand firm against any invasion of the ideas that are contrary to Scripture. Paul had set the record straight about some issues that had already invaded the church. That's what this letter is mostly about. They were to stand firm in what Paul was teaching them and, and in the apostles' doctrine. And we are to do the same. We will, at the end of the message, we'll review some of those key points. But the enemy's always trying to bring doubt, division, ingratitude, uh, false teaching into the church. So we are to stand firm in the faith. This was Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians as well. He said to them, after you've done everything, to stand. Act like men and be strong. Don't get caught up in emotion. Stop acting like those who are immature. Take it on the chin and keep pressing forward. As Arnold would say before the political correctness took over, don't be a girly man. There will be casualties, but we have to fight to the last man to hold the ground of truth that we have gained. If soldiers would die to take a, keep a hill on some foreign land, how determined should we be who are spiritually fighting for eternal souls not to lose ground to the, our adversary, the devil? So don't slack off, he's saying. Press on, keep pressing forward, be strong. And then verse 14, the fifth command, let all that you do be done in love. So following that command to act like men, this verse defines what that action looks like. 
This is what it means to act like a man. It's to do everything we do in love, which takes great strength. If we could just follow this one instruction, we would do well. It's one sentence recap of Paul's whole letter. If our words and actions would always be motivated by love, then we would be complete, like Jesus. God help us. Let us always ask ourselves before we act, am I saying this out of love? Am I doing what I'm doing from a heart of love? But we must understand also that love isn't this sappy emotion that embraces everything. God always acts in love. Even his wrath is from a heart of love. He loves justice. He loves his children. And he will not allow heaven to be corrupted. His wrath warns sinners to turn from their ways. Everything Jesus did and said was from a heart of love. And yet, he rebukes the Pharisees. But his intention is to open their eyes to their self-righteousness. His anger over the merchants in the temple was because he loves the world and he wanted that space to be <clears throat> a house of prayer <clears throat> for all nations. Excuse me. <clears throat> the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Paul told us at the beginning of chapter 13 that no matter what good deeds we do, no matter what sacrifices we make, if they are not done in love, they are meaningless. Agape love that expects nothing in return, it demands no response or reaction, and it remains even when it's rejected or abused, is the love that God is ordering us to act in and to have towards one another. In fact, John tells us that if we don't have this love for our brothers and sisters, we don't really love God. Loving the unlovely brother or sister is not an instruction from God that we can copt out of if we are children of God. Can we adopt this phrase as a guiding principle for our lives? It's an easy verse to memorize. It's a treasure to store in your heart and mind. It's applicable to all we do and say. God is love. Therefore, let all that you do be done in love. Amen? Verse 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. So Paul calls attention to the household of Stephanus, reminding the Corinthians that that family were the first fruits, which is actually the term used in Greek, where we read first converts. They were the, the first to come to Christ in, in that region. And we saw in the previous chapter that Christ is the first fruits from among the dead, meaning that those who are in Christ are sure to be a part of the great harvest of souls into the kingdom of God when he returns. Just as the first fruits in the Old Testament were devoted to God, so the household of Stephanus had devoted itself to Christ's body by serving the saints. 
Now, while Paul's away from Corinth, he can have some assurance that if the church just would submit to the example set by that household, they would not be off on some of the tangents that they were following in the past. Verse 16, be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. Paul wanted the church to imitate those who were living godly examples by serving others. So he points to these mature believers. Paul uses a submissive clause rather than an imperative command here. Those five things we read before were a command. You must, you, sh you need to do this. You must do this. This one, however, is more submissive. I'm suggesting to you that you follow their example. The expression I urge you at the beginning of the verse, of verse 15, is connected to being subject to these in verse 16. In other words, I urge you to be subject or follow the example of the household of Stephanus. He's not telling them that he's setting up Stephanus as a bishop over the churches in Corinth, but he's reminding them that Stephanus' household is an example to all of them how to live a Christian life. They were acting as Jesus did because Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. He's urging them to follow their example of service to one another. The Greek means that literally it's saying they were addicted to serving the saints. Now, the translation devoted is a good one. It's appropriate way for us to understand that word. Devotion implies that you may not always want to do something, but you are determined to see it is done. But Paul doesn't limit the example to just that family. He extends it to every fellow worker and laborer. Those who dedicated themselves to serving the saints, such as the ministry of the word or prayer, caring for the sick, leading music, hospitality, helping one another, or any gift, when used in a generous capacity as the majority of a person's time, those people should be recognized and respected for their example. And their example should be followed. They're living out verse 14, let everything you do be done in love. They genuinely care for others in the body. Those who serve demonstrate by their actions their love for the family of God. Verse 17 and 18, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. So Paul points out these three men as examples because they assisted him and they refreshed not only him but the church as well with their service. Some commentators think that they brought news that things were going better in Corinth. Paul had received the news before about the problems in the church and now maybe some improvement was made at this point, although we'll see when we get to 2 Corinthians that then they went kind of in the other direction. They are worthy of recognition. These laborers who encourage the church are subject to the attacks of the enemy. For if Satan can discourage those who set an example, then he can affect a great number of people in the body. You know, dealing with people all the time can bring a lot of discouragement. 
These people who are serving and refreshing the spirit of others are compassionate and they have a heart that's caring. So when people that they're working with go in the wrong direction or aren't listening to their advice, it deeply grieves their hearts. But when their gift is acknowledged, it encourages them to keep on keeping on. So to give, give honor to whom honor is due. I am so grateful for the encouragement I received from many of you and others who have passed through Wayside. In fact, this morning, I was, I'm going over this, just reviewing it, getting ready to, to share it with you. And uh, Doc Rice in, in Utah says he's out on a walk with his wife, Penny, and they just wanted to write me and encourage me and tell me what that they are so grateful for what I do and for the ministry. And just a wonderful text of encouragement that uh, kind of just boosted me, gave me a little boost of encouragement and prepared me. In fact, it was a perfect illustration for this message. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians that they were to encourage one another, refresh the spirits of your fellow saints by reminding them of the promises of God and telling them how you see God working in their lives. That's a great encouragement to anybody when Someone comes up to them and says, you know, I saw how you did this or that, and I could just see the Holy Spirit working through you. That's such an encouragement. And it encourages them to continue to do that and to watch for those opportunities. The Church of Asia sends you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. So the churches in the region that was at that time called Asia, not what we think of Asia today, sent greetings to the church of Corinth. If you were with us in the early part of studying this letter, you learned that many of the Corinthians derived their success because of the patron that they had. The patron opened doors for them in business and gave them a sense of security and of worth. But this greeting from the churches of Asia would have reminded them that they have a greater patron who's much more influential than the wealthiest Corinthian patron. Our Lord has clients in cities around the world. His wealth is immeasurable and true security and worth is found in belonging to him. It reminds us that we are part of something much larger than what God's doing in just our city. If this note reminded them that they weren't alone, how much more should it remind us that we're part of a worldwide body of believers with all variety of expressions, and yet we share the same Lord, the same practices, the same baptism, the same communion, the same gifts, the same instructions from the Word of God. I remember one time meeting a pastor, and, and he was saying, um, you know, you, we get on an airplane and you sit next to somebody, and they say, what do you do? And he says, uh, I, I used to just tell him, well, I'm a pastor of a church. And immediately the wall goes up, the headphones go on. You know. <laughs> so he said, I got a new tactic. I say, well, I'm, I'm a CEO of a worldwide organization that helps people realize what their calling in life is. Oh, really? What? What's that? And he goes on, yeah, we have branches in every major city of the world. And, you know, and I traveled to visit and, and encourage the different ones. And because we help 
um, people transform their lives and find their real purpose in living. Oh, really? Wow, you know, the person engages in conversation then. It's true, though. We're part of the biggest worldwide uh, service organization. Amen? And, I mean, the organization that we're part of is touching lives in northern Sudan, in Bangladesh, in Guinea-Bissau, in parts of China, all, everywhere. And we get to be a part of it. That's wonderful. Amen? The, the um, Ephesus House Church also met in the home of Aquila and Priscilla. So these, this couple must have been very wealthy. Now, I don't understand that. They had a place in Rome, in Ephesus, and in Corinth, and yet they're leather workers. I don't know if maybe they inherited a lot or what happened, but everywhere that you find Aquila and Priscilla, they have a house in their church, uh, church in their house, so God must have blessed them abundantly, and they used their wealth to bless the churches in those cities. They had instruct instructed Apollos in the faith. They were the ones who sent Apollos originally to Corinth. And Rome, probably in relation to their business, the hearty greeting from Aquila and Priscilla is because they had a home in Corinth and they personally knew members of the church. In Aquila and Prisca, we can see a combination of true devotion and sacrifice, a vision for the spread of the gospel, deep affection for Paul, an affection for the communities of Christians in a network of locations that was growing into what we now know as the worldwide church. Verse 20, all the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Paul frequently refers to followers of Christ in a family way as brothers and sisters. This greeting was from all those in the church of Ephesus because they all serve the same patron our master Jesus. We are all one family. The church today needs to be reminded that this should be our relationship with one another. It doesn't matter what the denomination is um, or if they don't even attend a church. Maybe they don't have a church in their city. If Jesus is their savior, they're our brother or sister. A kiss was the typical form of greeting to those who knew one another. Because they're all in Christ, it's a holy kiss, for we are sanctified by faith in Christ. So after reading the letter, the congregation was to greet one another in Christ, which would be a way of sealing what they heard in united agreement. This is a command to get rid of their unhappy divisions and jealousies, the solemn kiss was a token of love for one another, which all Christians ought to regard as a debt. Perhaps the equivalent today is a holy hug or maybe a hearty handshake, at least in our American culture. Before or after every gathering of the church, there should be a time of greeting, catching up with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, as soon as the... the uh, Bible study this morning was over and I stepped into the office to pray with the elders, uh, I could hear this roar of conversation. I don't know how anybody heard each other, but I love it. It's wonderful because it means you're, you're in fellowship with one another. And after the service is over, 
I'm usually here at least a half an hour before I can lock the doors. I want to go to lunch, but I'd much rather you stayed and had fellowship with one another. And take each other to lunch, by the way. Verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Paul signed with his large letters because of what we assume is an eye affliction. There would be a scribe, an amanuensis, who would write the letter down for him. Uh, scribes were trained because the cost of vellum or parchment was very expensive. They'd write nice, small, little, neat um, penmanship that would write the letter. And then at the end, the author would sign it, just like we would type a letter today and put your signature on it. It verified that the letter came from that person. Paul says he wrote, See, sometimes he says, see what large letters I write to you because of that eyesight problem. Verse 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. In this case, the Greek for love is phileo. Now, every other usage in this passage is agape. Um, it Phileo means a tender affection towards. So Paul's saying if anyone doesn't have that, that tender affection towards Christ, let him be accursed. If people persist in rebellion against our loving Lord and Savior, let them go on to their destruction. It's an interesting use of words because curse and come, Lord, have this repeated sound. Anatha maranatha. If you say it together, if you would just read that sentence, it would say, Anatha Maranatha. Now, Maranatha is of a Chaldean origin, and it refers to the coming divine judgment. And that's why the similar sound in, in curse. Christians often say it with the hope of Jesus' return to rescue us from this fallen world and raise the dead in Christ. This is part of the implication, but the main meaning of that word is judgment upon the evil world. Do we understand God's heart in this? Evil expressed as sin is the source of all pain and suffering. It's a rejection of all that's good. To end it, all rebellion against God must be put down, and those who persist in rebellion against goodness must be judged. Verse 23, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. Paul always closes with the request for the Lord's grace to be with the church. Do we understand how much we need grace and what a gift it is? We all stumble in many ways, but grace saves us from the consequences and keeps guiding us on the right paths for our good, grace overcomes all our little squabbles. Grace forgives and forgets and allows love to prevail. Grace is Christ-like. Paul prayed that his love in Christ for them be pres a present sense that they carried with them. He called them his children. He referred to them as being their father, as his beloved, and as his beloved brothers. As the founder of the church, he felt like a real father, like a father-like connection with them. Now, this is the only letter that closes like this. 
the, the presence of my love be with you. It's the only letter. So Paul, in spite of the uh, contention and sometimes rejection of Paul, Paul had a pastor's heart for this congregation. We saw that in his passion to correct them and to encourage them as well. So we've come to the end of the first letter, and we're going to begin the second next week, Lord willing. But let's not forget the themes of this letter. I'm just going to run through them real quickly. If we truly love God's word over time, we should begin, become familiar with the substance of the different books of the Bible. If I say the letter to Jude, does it come to mind what's in it? That's the way, actually, that's the way rabbis talk. That's the way Jesus spoke, actually, when he would quote part of a verse. You're supposed to know the rest of it. But we're so unfamiliar with scripture because we don't spend enough time in it. But at least we should start to become familiar with, well, what's in this book? And we should have an idea what's in it. So this letter began by addressing a crisis of division that was taking place when people glorified one leader over another. They were forming cliques, which is a common problem in the church today, resulting in division. Paul made sure they understood each leader was vitally important. He wanted them to understand that we do not compete with one another in a worldly way. He told them the preaching of the cross is foolish to the world but Christ is the wisdom and the power of God. He wrote in chapter five and six to keep ourselves from sexual immorality for our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Chapter six commanded those to deal, them to deal with issues among themselves instead of taking lawsuits to an unbelieving judge. Chapter seven addressed marriage duties and the gift of being single to devote oneself to the Lord. Chapter 8 and 9 tell us to give up our rights if demanding them might stumble a weaker brother or sister. And chapter 9 ends by telling us that the Christian life is like a race and that we should run all out to win the prize. Chapter 10 warns us of the pattern of idolatry, idolatry that Israel fell into. Instead, we are to do all that we do for the glory of God. Chapter 11 tells of the practice of modesty in the church and of keeping communion as a sacred meal. He warned that those who take communion in an unworthy manner suffer afflictions and judgment on that behavior. Chapter 12 and 14 tell us about the gifts of the Spirit and how they should all be used to build up the body of Christ. And chapter 13 is that most incredible chapter in the whole Bible about agape love. It reminds us that without love, our actions are meaningless. And it tells us that love is the greatest gift. Chapter 15, another of the unique chapters in the Bible that talk to us more about resurrection than any other chapter and the certainty of our own resurrection. And in this last chapter, we have Paul's encouragement to see the Corinthian church as a part of the worldwide church and our obligation to help other churches that are in need. And today's closing passage has shown Paul's heart for the church of Corinth, the heart of a pastor for his congregation. So those are just some of the highlights, but 
What a blessing from God that we have this letter passed down to us today for our spiritual growth and instruction. I think Paul would say the same thing to us that he did to the Corinthians in our passage for today and in the end of chapter 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Amen. God help us do this for his glory. Amen. Jill, would you come close us in a song?